Well, hello and welcome. How y'all doing today? All right, glad you're here, and uh, welcome to our online and television audience, as well as our other locations. Uh, I'm Jason, I serve here at Fountain Springs Church, and it is a pleasure to be with you today as we kick off a new series called Always. What do you think of this graphic? <laughs> Makes me want to sing the Saved by the Bell theme song, you know? Uh, but if you haven't noticed, the theme of this series, uh, it's a marriage series, by the way, but the theme is 90s prom. How many of you were in 90s prom? Uh, just a few of you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel right at home here because uh, I experienced the 90s prom. Me and my perm mullet in my junior year uh, feel right at home here. So uh, this is going to be a fun series. And what we're doing in this series is, is we're going to look at what it takes for marriages to thrive, for marriages to last and go the distance. And uh, so the next three weeks, uh, prepare yourselves. We're going to have a, a great journey. And I'm glad to be here today to kind of kick it all off. I'll tell you what, I am a sucker for a good love story. Anybody else? I, whenever I meet a new couple, I got one right here, I like to ask, you know, one of three questions. I'm like, hey, how'd you meet? Or tell me about your engagement and tell me about your wedding day. And whenever I ask those questions to a couple, it's, it's kind of cool because I say, hey, uh, tell me about it. And of course, you know, they kind of go back and forth, which one's going to tell the story. So usually the most vocal one kicks it off and says, hey, here, here's our story. And they go through and tell the story. But then the other one will interrupt and bring in the details to bring them to tell the real truth of the, whatever the story is. And they go back and forth playing hot potato uh, on the story. But it's really cool because somewhere in the middle of that, you see the glimmer in their eyes. And you see the little spark uh, from when uh, they first met or when they popped the question or uh, when they actually said, I do. And uh, so I'm sure the question you're asking is, hey, Jason, how did you pop the question to your wife? Is that right? I mean, is that, is that what you're asking? My wife, Gwen, um, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, that's, uh, to, to kind of kick it off, I want to share uh, a photo with you and it'll kind of set this all up. This is my wedding day, and that is my lovely wife, Gwen, and that is uh, baby-faced Jason, uh, just exiting the military. Uh, this is the little chapel we got married in, and uh, getting to this point, I'm going to tell you the story of how I popped the question. It might give some of you ideas. Uh, so picture it, Colorado Springs, year 2000. We just survived Y2K. I was exiting the military <laughs> and uh, figuring out what the next phase of my life was going to be. I was in my final year of the military. I had sworn off dating altogether. And then out of the blue, clear sky comes this little five feet of fury right here named Gwen. <laughs> and uh, it, it changed all of my plans. And uh, uh, she actually had to ask me out on our first date, uh, just, just so you know, I'm not much of a man apparently. But she, she, uh, she asked me out. Actually, it's just, come on. I mean, no, I'm kidding. There's no way these two actually belong together. But she asked me out, and we, and we were dating. And, uh, and as I was getting out, we knew uh, this needed to go one of two directions. She kind of gave me that talk. And, uh, and when we were uh, kind of, I forget, one weekend, we were out and about in Colorado Springs, I think with her parents. And we went to this place called the Flying W Ranch in Colorado Springs. That's actually where we got married. And uh, I remember we were walking through, and she's like, oh, that chapel would be a cute little chapel to get married in. Because Gwen, being so tiny, I think she wants to live in Smurf Village and wants to get married in <laughs> tiny places. She's still, I like great big things. She likes itty-bitty things. And that's just, that's our life. That's our marriage. So I had this great, elaborate plan. Uh, 
when I found out that's where she wanted to get married, I worked with her mom. We booked this place for July 15th, 2000. She didn't know it yet. Uh, so March 15th was coming up. And I was ready to pop the question. I said, March 15th, I have to propose on that day. That gives me four months to the wedding, and we are good to go. So I had a whole plan. I'm going to take Gwen and uh, send her out on a scavenger hunt all around Colorado Springs. And what's going to happen is she's going to have a bouquet of flowers delivered to her place. She's going to get the flowers. With the flowers is a plastic egg. She's going to open up, and it's going to be the clue to go to the next place, which would be a coffee shop. And she'd go to this coffee shop. The barista would give her a prepaid coffee that I would that I would already have paid for, along with the plastic egg that sent her to the next spot. And she would do this uh, throughout the whole afternoon, bless her heart, until she arrived where I would be romantically waiting for her inside this chapel in the very spot where we would say I do. Yeah. Big old egg I bought and had the ring inside, everything. You know, and you write your purpose in pen and your plans in pencil. Because March 15th, 2000, a giant blizzard hits Colorado Springs. I have to do it on this day, though. I can't go to March 16th. I'm getting married July 15th. I don't know why that, I'm so stubborn. I'm, I have to stick to my plan. Those of you who work with me kind of know how that goes. Like, I have to stick to my plan. So, uh, change of plans. Uh, we're still going to do this. I call the Flying W Ranch and say, hey, can I uh, uh, keep the, the chapel open and, and come there and maybe hide some plastic eggs around the place? And they're like, yes, we're in on the plan. So bless their hearts, they did that for us. And I picked Gwen up and I said, hey, I'm going to take you uh, someplace. It's a surprise. Uh, so let's get in my Jeep and go. So we were driving through the blizzard. Uh, something that should have taken like 15, 20 minutes ended up taking 45 minutes um, because of the blizzard. And I said along the way, you have to close your eyes. You have to close your eyes. So she says, okay. So she closes her eyes and it's 45 minutes. <laughs> 45 minutes. Bless her heart. And we get there. I send her on the wild goose chase around the chapel after she opened her eyes. By now, she's figured out what's going on. Gwen is not stupid. We arrive at a chapel, and she's going to go find some eggs. I think she's like, hmm, I think I know what's happening here. But she still did it, and uh, bless her heart, was totally game. But there I was at the chapel. Uh, after she found the last egg, she came up to me, and I had the ring, and I was down on my knees like, like so with my egg, saying, honey, Gwenny, will you marry me? And she didn't say yes. She said, of course I will. <laughs> Four months later, uh, we were married, and I will tell you, uh, we love to tell that story. She probably has a better version of it, so you can ask her uh, if you run into her every once in a while and say, hey, tell me the real story of how this went. But on our wedding day, uh, it was exciting because we stood in the place where we said our vows, and our vows were this, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. Those are powerful. Those words are powerful. Whenever you have vows like that, it wants to give you something to live up to. And they're profound. I think all of us start out in our relationship with these vows. In fact, we all uh, want our once upon a time to lead to a happily ever after. We're going to dive into the scriptures and we're going to... Uh, Go to some words that Jesus shared. Because 
Before we get to happily ever after, there's a lot of in-between that happens, and the scriptures really point us to the way to live to get there. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 6 through 9, uh, or we'll have it up here on the screen as we unpack the meaning of marriage. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, Jesus is echoing Genesis 2, 24 through 25 in this passage. And what he's doing is he's calling us back to the original design for marriage. If we want thriving marriages that last a lifetime, there are three essentials from this scripture that we must shoot for. Shared values, a shared vision, and shared vows. Let's start with shared values. Um, it's kind of interesting. As, uh, as we look at this, a few things stand out, but there's one word I, I want to kind of highlight in this, in this verse. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So if I was Southern, I'd say, leave and cleave to your wife. If you never heard the Southern Baptist kind of preacher. Uh, but that's what they say, leave and cleave. Um, but from the beginning, God made them but there's an interesting word here, united. And when you look that up in the original language, uh, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word. And it means to hold fast, keep close, cling, or be stuck to something. Th that fastening. It turns out, perhaps the most biblical love song is Stuck on You by Lionel Richie. Huh? Anybody, now you have that stuck in your head. Uh, some of you are like, I'm living more stuck with you by Huey Lewis in the news, and that's okay. That's, that, that would be the story of my marriage. Uh, but like a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you, you're so stuck together that if you were to try to pull it apart, the bread would, would rip apart. That's how stuck it is, right? Uh, I don't know why it goes to food for me. I'm pretty hungry. But uh, that, when it's, it's what binds us together. Uh, and that's what Jesus is talking about here when he, when he echoes back to Genesis 2 is he says the marriage is an idea that you're, that you're stuck together. In a good way, by the way. Because here's the deal. What we believe helps hold us together. Do you know what you believe? This is what we talk about when we say shared values. Do you know what you believe? Our beliefs serve as a filter for every decision that we make and every direction that we take. If you're in a relationship with somebody, how can... Uh, you expect to live life together if you are living by different operating systems. This is why, whether you're single or whether you're dating or even in our marriages, it is so important that we share values. You don't have to agree on the same music. My wife and I don't agree on all the same music. You don't have to have the same tastes or preferences or anything like that. But the core beliefs, the things that make you and I who we are, our values, our beliefs, you have to share that. The challenge is we live in a time uh, where we don't know what we believe. Uh, in fact, I took this picture, and I see this mantra everywhere I go, and it's called follow your arrow. And I took this one, 15 bucks at a secondhand store, completely overpriced, uh, not because of the material or anything, but because of the stupid message that's on it. This is the mantra of our time, follow your arrow. Um, see, our culture's lost. We don't know what's right or wrong. We don't know what's good or evil. 
Um, we don't even know if truth exists. And we live in an age where mantras like this are what lead the way. But there's a better way than follow your arrow. Uh, because uh, a lot of evil people have followed their arrow and it led them to do a lot of bad things. Instead, how about we do this? Don't follow your arrow, but follow Jesus. Anybody with me? You follow Jesus. If your arrow's pointed to Jesus, I guess I can say, follow your arrow. So if you have that in your house, or you have this shirt, hey, follow to if it's following Jesus, I won't give you a hard time, okay? Is that good? We good? Okay. Uh, nobody write me a mean email. I have plenty of those. Uh, Jesus, who's, who we're reading the words from in Mark 10 today, is pointing us back to the scriptures, so he's being asked about divorce, and he's being tested on all sorts of questions. And Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, come in flesh and blood, is pointing us to the Scriptures. And here's my question for you. What's your view of the Scriptures? Is it a nice little guidebook, or is it something more? Do you stand in authority over the Scriptures, or do you stand under authority of the Scriptures? Is this your supreme authority for life and faith? Is the same true for your mate or your potential mate or anybody you're dating? Because if not, how do you know what's right or wrong? Do you just guess? Do you just make it up? God literally spoke. And we literally get to read what he has to say about life and faith. And there's a lot in here I don't understand. But that's not the thing that gets me. It's the things I do understand and I have a hard time living with that get me. So... Jesus is returning us to the scriptures by echoing Genesis 2. He's saying, hey, let's take you back to the scriptures, to the original design of marriage. Because in the beginning, uh, God made everything. In the beginning, uh, God made everything. And there's the gospel in Genesis. So Jesus is calling us back to the gospel of creation, the crash in Christ. At the beginning, uh, God made the whole world and called it good. In the beginning, God made all living creatures and called it good. In the beginning, God created man and called it good. And then he pumps the brakes. Not that God made a mistake, but he created Adam in his own image and said it was good. But the first thing God said was not good was that Adam was alone. And think about it. Adam's here. If you didn't know, he had the job of getting to name all the animals. So he's the guy who's like rhinoceros aardvark, spiders. And he's seeing all these little animals uh, couple up and mate with each other. And he, here he is all by himself. Kind of a bummer. By the way, uh, did you hear about the spiders who got engaged? Yeah, I heard they met on the web. So had to slide a dad joke in there somewhere. That's for you, dad. He's right over there. Well, thankfully, God has a plan and does everything amazing. And God uh, put Adam into a deep sleep, performed the first surgery in all of human history, and took, as you know, a piece of Adam out of his side and created woman, created Eve, and created Eve also in his own image. And when Adam saw her for the first time, he got googly eyes. It was love at first sight. Anybody know what that's like? I'll be honest. I saw my wife the first time I met her. I was invited to a Mario party. And uh, that's yeah, where he played Nintendo 64, Totino's Pizzas in the kitchen. And you're coming over. This is cool, right? I'm like, yeah, hey, what's up? Playing some Mario party. I walk in, not expecting what I saw. And I'm like, hi. 
<laughs> like, hey, Jason, this is Gwen. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to be. But really what I'm thinking is I can see my unborn children in your eyes. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I imagine Adam felt something similar when he first saw Eve. In fact, we kind of get, get a hint at this because the very first recorded human words in the scriptures is actually a poem. And, and many believe this is actually the first love song. Okay, first love song is this, Genesis 2.23. Genesis, also a great band, but that, nonetheless, uh, off topic. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So he's been here naming the animals, seeing them couple up, being like, hey, what about me? But he sees her like, this is what I've been missing my whole life. And think about the closeness. If you call somebody the bone of your bones, the flesh of your flesh, which is kind of weird to somebody who doesn't know where it's coming from, but if you know what this means, you know he literally is a piece of him. He sac- God sacrificed a piece of him in order to give him uh, what he so desperately wanted and so desperately needed. He said, at last. that this is a 90s tune, I don't know if this would be a Boys to Men song. How many of you think it's Boys? Maybe it's a Garth Brooks tune, or maybe it's some ancient version of Wonderwall again. Uh, nevertheless, uh, God made men and women in his image, and it was good. And I love this quote from uh, uh, the commentary of Matthew Henry. He says, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. That's pretty cool. This, everything was good. This is what we shoot for. As you and I know, um, some things changed. In Genesis 2.17, God gives Adam a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But a serpent comes along and he provides a temptation and deceives uh, humanity. And what we read in Genesis 3.5 And we read this, for God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So far, we're at a breaking point and you know the rest of the story. We ate the fruit and sin bled into our story, uh, resulting in a mighty fall, a crash. And man and woman, Adam and Eve, were given a choice. Their choice is this. Live under God's definition of good and evil or define what's good and evil for themselves. In other words, live by God's truth or their own. They made the wrong choice. Today, you and I are given a choice. Our choice is this. Live under God's definition of good and evil or define what's good and evil for ourselves. In other words, live by God's truth or live on their own version of truth. But thankfully, that is not where the story ends. And in Genesis, we actually get the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. We have a hope of redemption. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is known as the first gospel. This is the promise of a redeemer someday who will come and crush the enemy and will stand victorious. 
that the curse of this sin will be broken. And we know Jesus is telling the story. Jesus knows I am that redeemer. I am your redeemer. And uh, in doing so, when Jesus came and he crushed the enemy, he ushered in a new covenant, a new era of grace, one that we're living in today. And that's why it's so important that couples have the same values and belief because of the good news of Jesus, the power of the gospel. Because if you're going to make the most of your life and your marriage, you have to return to the gospel over and over again. Because it's not just for our salvation, it's for our lives. It's how we thrive. We constantly return to it. And it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. Author Paul Tripp has a great quote. Let me give you a biblical view of marriage. It's a flawed person married to a flawed person in a fallen world, but with a faithful God. Pretty cool. That's true. But a lot of gospel in that. Well, next, if thriving marriages are going to uh, succeed, they have to have a shared vision. Now, uh, as we go to the next verse here, uh, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now here, this is pretty cool. The vision that we are given is crystal clear. Become one. That's pretty powerful. That's how you know it's important. See, a vision is a picture of what's possible. It's what you aim for. It's what you fight for. It's what you love for. And a while back, uh, I was at a local bookstore and I took a photo and I observed how uh, this couple interacted with each other. And I was inspired. I thought, I want that. That's what I want. That's the vision that I want for my marriage. And so here's what I posted on Twitter that day. This is the couple walking out the store. Sorry if this is a relative of yours. I didn't get their faces, but I was so just like, that's what I want. And so I put, when people ask me about my goals for the future, this is at the top of my list. That's what I want. That's what I'm going after. How about you? The world around us, including our own flaws, circumstances, culture, family history, you name it, uh, it means the odds get stacked against us. But this is a vision worth fighting for because this is a vision that's possible. People like this just living their lives, shopping at a store, show people like me way back from them who can have a lot to learn from them. It says it's possible and it's possible for you. But how do you become one? Well, becoming one uh, means this. Becoming one is intimacy, and intimacy leads to growth. What is intimacy? Well, it means being lovers and best friends, spending time together, being open with each other, pursuing one another, staying close and serving one another, practicing everyday thoughtfulness and forgiveness, having fun, and yeah, making out. Sorry, kids. Um, But intimacy also leads to growth. And marriage is always in motion, and that never leaves us unchanged. You see, God uses marriage to help us become who we're meant to be. You know, we shouldn't enter into a marriage trying to change one another, but we will help each other grow. It's part of the deal. That's part of healthy marriages. Um, It'll help us to grow to be even more who who God created us to be. But listen, growth doesn't come without resistance. Doesn't come without the wind in our face. Tough times shape people and they shape relationships. But here's the cool thing about growth. 
The cool thing about growth, as in your marriage, is as you grow over time, and I have 20 years of being, over 20 years of being married to my wife, is you have a constant joy of rediscovery. My wife was Wonder Woman when I married her, and she's even more wonderful now. She's who she was, but she's even more. She gets better and better with age. My wife, right now, I see confidence in her she didn't have 20 years ago, and vice versa. I see her taking a chance and going back to school to be a nurse after we've raised our children. That woman that I married, I saw that potential here, and now I'm seeing it here. And along the way, we've been through so much, and I'm so proud of her. I'm so grateful. And I hope your mate is your dearest and closest friend. Someone you can laugh with and chill with, someone you can talk and cry to, someone who loves you just the way you are, and someone who loves you enough not to leave you that way, to help you grow. Note to parents, sometimes we get so caught up in being mom and dad, we forget to be husband and wife. Make sure you're carving out time to invest in your relationship. You need it. Your kids need it because they need to know what a loving relationship looks like. And I'm grateful that my parents gave me that example. And I hope my kids will see that we loved each other, a lasting relationship. And I hope as they enter into their relationships, they do the same thing. Finally, a thriving marriage requires us to do this, share vows. So as we wrap up uh, this this particular passage, Jesus uh, says, therefore, What God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, marriage is more than a contract. Marriage is a covenant. That's a crazy word, covenant. What is a covenant? Well, it's a sacrificial commitment to God and one another. And I love this quote from Tim Keller. Wedding vows are not a declaration of present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. Meaning you can count on me. I will be here. I got your back. Or as Whitney Houston saying, I will always love you. Okay. (laughs) Dolly Parton did it better. I don't know. Maybe it depends on who you ask. But there are several different types of promises, though. Uh, And and we're going to walk through that today. The first one is a vertical promise. This is a promise between you and God. So when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are having a vertical promise with God. When you pray, God, just let her be mine, please, I'll do anything you ask. And of course, as the song goes, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, thankfully. But he let Gwen be mine. I wasn't talking about my prom dates, but I'm talking about Gwen. She she gets to be mine. But these are vertical promises that we have, but there are also horizontal promises, and these are promises we make with you and others. And this comes in the form of handshakes, hugs, uh, legal contracts, agreements, calendar invites, whatever, whatever it is, but we have agreements with each other, and a lot of us do this. We have our relationship with God and our relationship with others, which is really cool, but here is something interesting. Marriage is unique in that it's both a vertical and a horizontal promise, and that is the essence of a covenant. It's a big deal in the scriptures. In fact, the scriptures are split up in the Old Testament and New Testament. Do you know another way you could say that is the Old Covenant and New Covenant? Nerd out on that for a while. It's some good stuff. When we make a covenant, we are promising, though, to do this. Put God first and our spouse second. If you want a marriage that thrives, this is the priority list. And the order is important. Another way of showing it 
we have God at the top. We have a covenant with each other, promise with each other, but with God, it creates a covenant, and covenant creates a space where love can thrive. That's a picture of the covenant. But when we are at the top, something's wrong, right? When our spouse is at the top, something's wrong. But we have other good things. We put our kids at the top. We put work, money, you name it, because our priorities become our promise and our promise become our priorities. But when we put God in his rightful place at the top, everything else falls in alignment. It creates that space that, that we so need. Our vows should reflect our priorities. And they matter because the fires of life will come. And when they do, uh, you need something to depend on. Let's go back to my wedding picture here. Last uh, summer, Gwen and I, as I said, celebrated 20 years of marriage. And so what we thought we'd do is return to the scene of the crime. 20 years later, I proposed in that spot. We got married in that spot. And we were going to go back to Colorado Springs for a few days and and celebrate our 20th anniversary. And we decided um, uh, to go to the chapel. But here's the problem. And we had a feeling this was true. It wasn't there. This is what... This is, this is tough. In 2012, uh, the place was destroyed by raging wildfire. Structures, mature trees, and more were all wiped out. Reading the statistics here, this is called the Waldo Canyon wildfire. 12 days in the summer of 2012, this thing burned. 18,000 acres. 32,000 people evacuated from their homes. Hundreds of people lost their homes. Nearly half a billion dollars in insurance claims. Two people died all from a brush fire with a drought and very high wind. So we went to the, to the site. We heard they were rebuilding, and we decided we wanted to go check the place out. We arrived to an empty parking lot. But there were a few workers, and they let us uh, walk up to the location where this chapel was. And, and it's kind of in the midst of a whole like, kind of community they had built, but there was nothing there now. They were just had a little amphitheater. And so uh, we walked up the hill. And in our memories, this place was green and beautiful, if you remember from my wedding pictures. But as we turned the corner up this hill, this is what we saw. What was left standing after the fire from the chapel was this, a cross. You have to know, 20 years after everything Gwen and I have been through, and I could t- we could tell you stories. And here we are. The chapel's gone, but what remained? You know, and I, I couldn't help, but it was hot that day. It was, it was uncomfortable, but we were, I was just kind of blown away. And uh, what a profound reminder of the promise that we made to God and one another on July 15, 2000. Like I said, we've been blessed. We have a wonderful son and daughter. Life hasn't been easy. We've had our ups and downs, been down that rocky road, but here we are still around. If you can quote that song, I will uh, give you a high five or an air one if you were worried about that. But, but why? Because of love. You see, love is more than a feeling. It is a promise. Returning to this spot where we exchanged our vows reminded us of the power of that promise. See, marriage is sacred and it requires effort. When the fires of life come, what will you hold on to? I pray you hold on to the covenant that, made, that you made with God and one another. To have and to hold. 
for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as you both shall live. And as Jesus reminded us in uh, Mark 10, 9, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray, God, for healthy and thriving marriages. When the fires of life come, I pray we cling to you, each other, and the power of the promise. For those who are single, I pray that they won't settle for less than someone who loves you and loves them. Um, for those who are married, God, I pray that they will, they will hold on tight um, to you. Wherever it's needed, I pray for restoration. Wherever there's hurting, I pray for healing. Wherever there's confusion, I pray for truth. Wherever there's resentment, I pray for grace. Wherever there's complacency, I pray for intimacy. God, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for showing us what's possible. And please bless my friends here and all over, uh, wherever they may be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.